Kiko's Freethinkers Forum was one of the most popular podcasts internationally at the end of 2022. It was in the top 5% most shared globally according to Spotify statistics. Please consider donating to this podcast to ensure the highest quality of information and guests. And remember, you can't unthink free thought. Consider other viewpoints and love your fellow humans. Enjoy the upcoming episode with Ramon Muñiz Sarmiento. Good morning, Kiko's Free Thinkers Forum is here again with episode 19, Beautiful People. I'm joined by a, set, a guest that's already been on, Ramon Muñiz Sarmiento. Uh, we had some technological issues, but we've since earned those out perfectly. We figured out the right format. StreamYard is our best friend right now. Mm-hmm. And so um, Ramon has been gracious enough to join us back again. He obtained his PhD at Florida International University, I think in Hispanic Studies. Mm-hmm. Yes. And he has been the author of several books. Um, we introduced him the last time we did an episode, but um, we talked some about Cuba. He's from Cuba originally. We talked some about um, the embargo. We talked a little bit about the political system there, the education system. We're going to also expand that some today. Um Host special period. We're going to talk some about LGBTQ rights, experiences, Ramon's own personal experience. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about a referendum um, from 2022 and also the new constitution of 2019 in Cuba. Welcome to the show again and thanks for accepting the invitation. Thank you so much. It's a great pleasure to be here once again, <coughs> Kiko. So, you know, um, I love to talk about these topics. They are, I think, uh, they are interesting for everybody and especially for us. So people working in this field and especially for me, because, you know, um, I have 10 years, almost 10 years living here in the United States, but I was born in Cuba. So it's a, I have this culture, this background. <laughs> so we can start to speak. If you want, go ahead with uh, your first question or introduction. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's uh, it's weird how these interviews are because they're all so different. Like sometimes they're more informal, sometimes they're formal. I try mm-hmm. to keep it informal, but also very informative. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it's good just like the conversation, the way it kind of flows. And yeah. It's not just like question, answer, question, answer. We just kind of um, lead up to it. I do have an initial question for you, though. I was thinking about our interview last night and we talked about a little bit about the Castro like regime and we talked some about the transitions, but not a whole lot. Uh, just for the listeners to know, there's a figure named Mariela Castro, who's actually Fidel's niece. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the daughter of Raul, mm-hmm. um, who was the former president of Cuba, um, mm-hmm. Raul's brother. Um, mm-hmm. What is your perception of Mariela Castro as far as... Um, her presence in the country, and do you think that she can be given credit for um, changing the minds of the new Cuban generation when it comes to LGBTQ awareness rights? Well, I think so. You know, uh, aside uh, politics, so because uh, anyway, she is part of this uh, family uh, in Cuba. But uh, in the past and currently, 
Um, she's uh, in charge of this uh, center for sexual education. She frequently she frequently give tours around the country, around the island, so uh, to speak about these issues. And I think this is important because, as you said, this raises awareness about these issues. And uh, you know, we belong to uh, a very patriarchal, a masculine society in Cuba, and these topics are so important especially for those people who belong to this community, LGBT community. So, because I was no part of the LGBT community when I was living in Cuba, but I knew friends, you know, I had friends uh, who were um, facing problems with uh, society and family. And in my times, this was a better, because during the 70s, as you know, it was uh, harder to belong to this uh, community, LGBT community, unfortunately. Right now, it's different. And uh, as you mentioned first, last year we had, so they had in Cuba, uh, a referendum um, about these rights for these people. So they can be married right now. So express uh, their love. I have been... Uh, seeing pictures in Facebook, in social media with uh, this marriage. this uh, And I think this is important because it's the first step. You know, uh, this is not the first time um, where, when they have this kind of conversation with the population. So they had one conversation like this, uh, a referendum like this uh, in 2019. And the result of the first referendum was negative because uh, people said no. Mm-hmm. So, but this time the government took this seriously. So, and I think this is the first step. In my perspective, to change the mentality, to change the mind can take so many years, sometimes centuries. So, I, sometimes you have to start with the government in the government. So, and this is the case to start to change mentalities. This referendum was approved, I think, in November or October. I don't remember the month. Exactly. I think it was September. September. Mm-hmm. And I was participating in some forums in, uh, in, in Facebook. And I was able to see the hate, you know, uh, especially from people who belong to some organizations uh, such as uh, churches. So it's the first time in my life I see church in Cuba. So after revolution, so interested in an issue uh, related to the government, you know? So because they are a part in the country, you know, they don't belong to the government. So uh, they don't have a good relationship and it's the first time, you know, they are almost together. So, uh, mm. you know, I was able to see how much we have to work still, you know, on this kind of issues for the rights, for uh, civil rights, for LGBT community. So, you know, we have to work. We have, we have so much work to do. So fortunately, we have uh, amazing people in the universities who are working. So I was able to be in contact again with uh, some of my uh, co-workers in the university in Cuba, students, uh, friends uh, 
who were involved in this process and uh, you know showing support to LGBT community. And I think this is the first step. You know, I think the situation is getting better right now. It's improving. And at the same time, I want to add something. You know, uh, it's the moment. It's the moment to approve this law. So I don't know. I am sure you know this. Cuba is living the worst crisis ever. You know, this is not a secret. This is not a mystery. Everything is a scarcity in the in the country. So food, medication, transportation. So uh, it's it's hard. It's really hard right now to live there. So blackouts. For example, after midnight, my grandmother is living there. Is still living living there, and she is 85, 85 years old. And uh, you know they were experiences this uh, terrible lack of electricity after midnight you know they were not able to, to sleep uh, well so they are facing problems with uh, medication antibiotics food everything everything, mm. everything i don't know if this is the right moment to face this law uh, about lgbt community or uh, same-sex uh, marriage but it's also important because i think the country in this moment, have so many issues to solve, so many problems to solve. Mm-hmm. But uh, as I always have said, not everything is hunger. Uh, you know, we have uh, important issues like this, social issues like this, and uh, absolutely. So, this needs to be solved as well. After so many years working on this, uh, talking about your question about uh, Mariela, you know, I think uh, you know. Besides politics, so uh, she has been doing a, a good job, at least for me, in this sense. Because so she visited the universities, she visited um, a students' center to talk about this with uh, the population, you know, uh, events, um, campaigns um, along the island, across the island, you know. Uh, not only uh, not only to speak about this uh, kind of issues uh, related to LGBT community, but also uh, sexual se- sexual protection. So how to protect mm-hmm. of, uh, um, against uh, illnesses or things like this. And this this is also important. Uh, you know, they have been doing uh, a good job about this about these kind of issues. So. Mm-hmm. So my quick, I have a lot of questions about the the one thing I was trying to figure out is this, like I, I study Cuba, like we both study Cuba, but you're from Cuba and you have, you're on the ground, you know, and have family in Cuba. But I was thinking, you said something earlier about Mariela, like it's good what she's doing, but you, you almost seem to suggest that the political side of it, like she still has her inclinations politically. So my question would be, how does this pertain to Raul, her dad? Like, are they separate when she's doing these appearances to promote um, gay awareness and LGBTQ rights? Or is he just in the background, like hidden kind of, you know, still representing the old system? Or does he has he actually made comments publicly in support of his daughter? Mm. Hmm. Interesting question. So, um, of course, 
in Cuba, everything is part of the government. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, you know, this center is not an exception uh, of this system. But uh, I have never heard Raul Castro talking about this kind of topics, you know. So Fidel Castro and uh, first uh, his brother and then Raul, they avoid these kind of topics, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, they were so focused on older topics uh, such as, uh, you know, the relationships between Cuba, by the way, and the United States of America. So, so many of uh, the speech by Fidel Castro Um, where about this topic and also not only this they avoid the situation about the about the country what is happening with the country they avoid that they avoid to speak about that with uh, the population and uh, and this is important for Cuban population so because when you are the president of a country you have to speak with your people about the country and they avoid that so um, mainly Fidel Castro, because Raul, uh, he was, you know, he was more uh, more open. He was more open to speak with people about this, about these topics, to address these topics in uh, his speech. So Mariela is working inside, uh, inside uh, the government, you know. So, as I said, I, ha I have never... I have never heard Raúl Castro uh, talking about this kind of topics, LGBT community or gay community. Uh, you know, I think uh, she has uh, this agenda. So as a part of a new generation, uh, and uh, and in this sense, I think she deserves uh, respect. Anyway, she is working outside the government, I think at least in this sense. But anyway, she is part of the government, she is part of the family, and she has expressed uh, opinion in favor of revolution. So she is, uh, she, she agreed with, uh, with the system. So apparently, so because we don't know, so we don't have uh, the real information about these topics. I think uh, we have so many stories, legends about this, this, this kind, this, this people in the government, in the, in the Castro family, but we don't know, actually, you know, so because everything is a mystery with them, you know. It sounds a lot like here. <laughs> like, yeah. no one knows. It's like the government always has their own plans. No, no, and no. just the citizens are just doing, they're mm -hmm. basically following the rules of the government. They don't know what's really going on because they're basing everything on what the government is telling them. But yeah. I, I had, um, I noticed a lot of sentiment here because we live in a different political system here. Mm -hmm. um, in the United States, we're a very super capitalistic system, mm -hmm. um, which has tons of issues in itself. Um, I think regardless of whatever system you live on, there's going to be flaws, mm -hmm. um, exploitation of people. Mm -hmm. um, we, the people in the United States have had our own issues with LGBTQ rights. Mm -hmm. um, that's what kind of bothers me um, just as a U.S. citizen is the, the people here are always trying to convince people that we're so progressive-minded. Mm -hmm. But it was only seven years ago that we legalized same-sex marriage here. And that's mm -hmm. just one topic. We mm -hmm. still haven't solved the issue with um, um, trans sex workers mm -hmm. um, and healthcare with sex mm -hmm. workers. and stuff. We don't even talk about this stuff this, in, mm -hmm. in the Congress. And mm -hmm. so I think it's so important for people to keep in mind that when things happen, 
a lot of times it's very quick, but there's always been a buildup of people mm. who have been for those rights in the first place. I think the way the media portrays Cuba is that it's just a completely like the people are very like um, close minded, mm. but it's not like that at all. I think it just depends on who you talk to. I mean, mm -hmm. you have conservative sectors there and you have liberal sectors and different types of people. But they lump the people there based on the way the government is set up. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very unfair to, mm -hmm. you know, make a comparison like that. It's, it's a different political system. But people, I mean, trans people have health care in Cuba. They mm -hmm. don't have health care here. Like no mm -hmm. one in this country has universal health care yet. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important to recognize those nuances. Yeah. I did I did have something about um I was losing my train of thought. I had a question about um it wasn't Mariella, it wasn't necessarily um gay rights, it was more so there was a lot more to the constitution of 2019 that was included besides raising awareness awareness of gay rights. There's also there was a an inclusion of private property being legal and also um, being able to invest. Like I've never heard of this before. It sounds like they're trying to become more uh, socialistic and not so much communism. Do you notice mm -hmm. that? Have they been making those messages in the government like that? As, as I said, you know, so she is part of a new generation. So, and uh, I think uh, they are looking for ways to uh, save the country. They need to do it, you know? So they need to do it. They have to do it. This is an obligation because everything right now is uh, bad, you know, in the country. Uh, everything is uh, working, uh, you know, is uh, terrible. So, for example, I have two years out of Cuba. So the last time I was there, it was during uh, 2018 or 19. So I have uh, some years um, out of the country. And... You know, I am not in love with the idea to travel again. So, <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, everything is, 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 is so bad. There is, a, uh, you know, full transportation, electricity, everything, everything. So uh, people coming here, you know, we have received um, so many people from Cuba in the last year uh, in the borderline of the country, you know. And they don't have uh, here uh, the same privilege uh, as before, you know. So uh, they are facing problems uh, to get the green car, uh, to get the permit to work, things like this. Uh, so I think uh, in Cuba, so the government is right now looking for solutions. So this is a so which is so hard to find. So with uh, this uh, social system with this political system. So, you know, I, I think uh, so. this is impossible under uh, the current conditions, you know. So they need to open the country. So they need to, they need to have a different perspective about uh, economy. So I'm Cuban and I don't know how the, the, the currency, the money, the market is working there, you know. I don't know, I don't have uh, that information. I don't understand that information. But, you know, uh, talking about what you said, I think uh, things in the country uh, are starting to change, you know, with uh, internet connection, with uh, information. 
So it is not possible uh, to hide uh, the truth anymore. So it is not possible in this moment uh, to hide what is happening in the rest of the world. And this has been the other day I was, uh, I was watching a documentary and uh, an historian, a professor, uh, she was talking about this. So this kind of systems, they leave uh, hiding the information from people, you know, and this is no possible anymore in Cuba because uh, when I came here, I didn't know how to use Facebook, how to use YouTube, uh, uh, how to use uh, email. So we have a closed system inside of the university uh, where I was working in Santiago de Cuba. And uh, right now this is impossible. People have uh, access to the information. They are reading, they are watching videos about what is happening in the world, in the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, and I think the government has uh, the obligation, uh, you know, to look for ways to solve this situation, at least to relieve this uh, situation. And this is what they are doing in this moment. You know, I don't know. I don't know what will be the, the result because uh, we have different opinions. Uh, we have uh, controversial opinions inside the country. So intellectual people, uh, writers, artists, uh, sometimes they are in favor of the government because they receive uh, benefits and, uh, you know, and at the same time, they are the smartest people in the country. So they have the obligation also, you know, to look for uh, ways to look for solutions for the people. And sometimes they are in silent, you know, uh, they don't say the truth. They support the government because they receive benefits. Mm -hmm. And this is concerning. This is concerning for me. Uh, you know, but for me, they are trying to look for ways. So uh, in the news yesterday, I was uh, reading something about uh, a meeting they will have in Havana. So the president Biden, so some representative uh, from the government uh, with uh, Cuban regime. I don't know what is the reason for this meeting, but you know, uh, this rise the controversial, the controversial points, the controversial opinions, uh, mainly in Miami, mainly in mostly in, in Florida. So, uh, mm. and also we have this new law uh, right now approved by the uh, president for uh, Nicaragua, uh, Haiti, and Cuba, you know, and Venezuela. So now uh, you can uh, be a sponsor for, you can be a sponsor for your family or your friend if you are living here, you know, and this is because uh, because of the great, the big crisis in the, in the borderline of the, of the country. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think this is another option. I don't know if this will be a good option for the United States or, and also for, uh, for the countries, for Cuba, not for the United States, because we receive here so many people, and this is important, you know. Um, this is important, so it's a diversity, it's uh, more people here, more languages, more cultures, and of course, this is uh, rich for us, this is good for us. But for those countries, people are living those countries, you know, where they born. So I left my country as well, you know, 
And what happened? So what is the future of this country if uh, all these people leave the country? Mm-hmm. Uh, where uh, where we are going to find uh, the solutions uh, for the countries when uh, people are leaving the countries behind? So, you know, I have received um, so many requests. Not so many, but some of them from family members and for friends. Oh, can you be my sponsor? Can you be my sponsor? Mm -hmm. So uh, through Facebook, through social media, people looking for me and uh, sending messages. Interesting. They want to come here. They want to come here to work because, uh, you know, they are behind. um, uh, So they want to get the American dream. So people believe in that still nowadays, you know, and this is concerning because even when we have so much information about the about the real world, so we have these kind of opinions, we have this kind of belief. Huh? So they are looking for the American dream in 21st century. Mm-hmm. So people living here like us, so we know this is not truth at all, you know. So, <laughs> so you have to work. You have to, uh, and maybe sometimes you work just to pay your rent, uh, hardly to pay your car, your insurance, uh, to go to uh, to see the doctor. As you said, some people, some people they don't have insurance here. So we have so many problems. We are facing so many problems even here. So this is not the American dream. And, uh, you know, we have this uh, new law, this new uh, politics to bring people here. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm wondering what is going to happen? What is going to happen with with this, uh, you know? So at the same time, this is now a family issue. This is uh, an issue for for friends, you know? So because uh, we have all these people in Cuba uh, asking you, requesting you, so can you be my sponsor? So uh, I am in desperation here. I don't have food. I don't have medication. So uh, you don't have to pay anything for me. So just the paperwork, this is what I need. So when I was there, when I get there, you know, uh, I will find my own job. Uh, and, you know, they don't know English. They uh, uh, they only speak Spanish. So sometimes they are not prepared. They don't know how many things they will facing here. Uh, they will be facing here. You know, <laughs> it's it's a complex situation. You know, uh, in, and we know that you don't get something for nothing. We know that if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true. And and me knowing the United States like I do, um, it functions just like any other government. It's mm-hmm. always finding a way to try to gain an advantage over. Mm-hmm some situation mm-hmm. politicize it and mm-hmm. and and that's a political issue in itself just um it, it depends on which angle you look at like you said it's a very complex mm-hmm. issue because you have different factions arguing why do we need more people coming into the country and then you have some people saying we need to have better restrictions on people coming in mm-hmm. and then some people are completely for just like opening up the whole country allowing as many people as you want to come in but every country faces this. It's not a U.S. Yeah. issue, um, but they make it seem like it's such a, a issue that's only pinpointed to the United States. But I think in our conversation, people will realize that even though a lot of the stuff you talked about in the first interview was pretty 
mind-boggling for a lot of my audience because they were saying, I got a lot of comments saying what Ramon was describing is crazy. I can't believe that people in Cuba don't have the internet, university professors and stuff. But at the same time, they also acknowledge that there's a lot that we have in common too. And so mm -hmm. that's the reason why we have to talk to each other. And, you know, mm -hmm. And that's why we need different perspectives instead of mm -hmm. listening to what, you know, um, our government is telling us. Maybe the people need to meet with the people and see what they're actually talking about. Mm -hmm. and, and speaking to that point about people, um, I want to go back to a comment you made earlier about you said something about in Cuba, like being a gay person. How was that in Cuba? Like as far as like your actual experience in Cuba and your friends and, and the people that you hung out with, like how, what, how were some of those experiences? What would be some examples of um, the attitudes and treatments towards people in the community? Uh, yes, absolutely. So, you know, depending on the family, you know, where the people uh, were born. So, uh, you know, I was, interacting in a different world when I was living in Cuba. You know, I was uh, in the university, I was in the faculty in the humanities, in the humanities school, it's a facultad in Spanish, it's a, like a faculty in English, but it's a different word, you know. So, uh, and we had uh, so many open people there, but you know, uh, I have heard some stories of, for example, um, you know, uh, when uh, kids or teenagers, they came out. So uh, sometimes uh, parents, they were so angry, you know, angry at this stuff. I think this is the main problem. So we have uh, an insult in Cuba, which is the word maricón. Huh? Mm, see. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> You know that so especially in a small towns in a small towns in the in the country this is uh, so difficult so um you know if you walk in the street uh uh with a weird uh way of walk so it's mm -hmm. you know you can be insult uh i i saw that in cuba so many times you know uh things like this so and this is a, a hard experience you know for uh, anyone who belong to uh, this uh, community. So people was uh, was afraid. People was afraid, were afraid to came out of the closet, uh, as we said. So, um, but you know, in my world was, in my experience was different because uh, I had so many friends with uh, acceptation from their families. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, I know, other sad stories so with time mm -hmm. family accept all these uh issues of uh, the personality the 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 sense of self of their kids but you know it's uh it's, it's a process it's a process and i think this is because of uh because we have a, a very masculine a patriarchal society in cuba you know and this is hard when your son or your daughter uh, say, hey, dad, hey, mom, I have, uh, so uh, I am gay or I'm lesbian or whatever, you know. Uh, I don't know how is the situation right now, 
what is uh, happening. Um, but you know, in my experience in that moment, it was hard, it's still hard, you know, um, mainly because in Cuba, families share the same house. Mm -hmm. So you don't have the possibility uh, to move sometimes or to live in a different house. So sometimes it's the only house you have to live and you don't have the possibility to move with other friends. You don't have the possibility to rent your own apartment, even though when you are working and you have to share the house, the home with uh, your family. And sometimes they have problems because of this, uh, mm -hmm. real because of this, you know. So I have had these issues in my family, not with me, but with other family members. Mm -hmm. um, and I know this kind of situations, this uh, environment, this toxic environments, you know. And this is because uh, of the influence of society, social media. Mm -hmm. So education in Cuba, the masculinity, so masculine, so you have to be macho. Uh, you have to be macho. So this is the this is the word. You have to be macho. So what does this mean? Hmm? What does this mean? So many years ago, you are supposed to drink. So uh, you were supposed to drink. You were supposed to drink. You were supposed to. Um, you know your education was under violence. So because of violence expressed part of your personality you know so this kind of things so we saw these kind of things in in cuba you have to be a strong uh you know you have to uh you have to do a, a work for men you no know? so and this is not for ladies for men so so you have to be strong and of course be part of this uh, community it would be a problem for uh, for the family. So, uh, so this is my my experience. You know, uh, I didn't know so many people because so many people they were hidden huh, in mm -hmm. Cuba at that moment. You know, inside the closet because, as I said, uh, it was uh, so difficult. Uh, people with uh, you know with heterosexual. Uh, behavior, heterosexual, uh, you know, marriages. So uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to hide uh, the truth, to hide uh, the, the real, uh, at the end, it's your personality. So you are hiding your personality. You are hiding your, your, yourself. You exactly. Yes, uh, it's your identity. So because it's your identity. So, and this is and this is hard, you know. It's 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 hard. It's a, it's a really hard. I'm going to tell you, Ramon. Like, um, a lot of this what you're describing is, I've I've just being from the states and being from the southern United States and Tennessee. Mm -hmm. I, I've seen these I've seen these same behaviors, all the homophobia. Mm -hmm. um, but it's interesting. Like, it doesn't sound that different from the United States. Like, everything mm -hmm. you were describing sounds pretty much like. Yeah, it's, uh, the United it, States. Um, it's, it, it's a global problem. It's the the codes of conduct. I noticed um, there are two books I wanted to shout out um, because I was thinking about what you were saying, it, describing these experiences. One is called Machos, Maricones, and Gays. Mm 
by mm -hmm. uh, author Ian Lumsden, mm -hmm. um, a Canadian author. And then Jafar S. Allen talks about um, folks is more on black men in Cuba. Vincent mm -hmm. Amos, the erotics of self-making in Cuba, mm -hmm. talks a lot about how black men have to hide themselves in the malecon. You kind mm -hmm. of like you meet up with people that are gay at the malecon, which is mm -hmm. um, the seawall that's in La Habana for the mm -hmm. audience that doesn't know what that is. Mm -hmm. And so you almost have to use these codes of conduct to communicate with people. You have to be secretive about stuff at times. Absolutely. And um, a lot of the same stuff happens here. Like a lot of it, it, it's more politicized now mm -hmm. because there's um, there's more of a network of people that are part of the LGBTQIA community. Mm -hmm. But even if you examine that community here is very much a white masculine presence mm -hmm. dictating mm -hmm. the rest of the community is not mm -hmm. black trans people who are the people mm -hmm. who are dictating you know mm -hmm. themselves and their autonomy uh, so i think that's important to keep in mind a lot of the agenda here is very much a white through the mm -hmm. eyes of a white man like still you know and and people yeah. don't see these different intersectional elements of being gay i know people mm -hmm. who are are trans queer and black mm -hmm. and it's just not the same experience at all. And, oh, and, and we oh. have a we have a tendency in society to lump all this together. I mean, mm -hmm. the fact that we're talking about same sex marriage, mm -hmm. that's just one small, small issue. Uh -huh. If you really think about the human experience, Absolutely. I mean, what about the rest of the person? And so, so everything is reduced to like one thing. It's always about sex. It's always about um, oh, insecurity with someone's body, sex. It, they always emphasize the sexual element of it. Are, are, are straight people not having sex? Mm -hmm. I mean, heterosexual people have sex, don't they? Yeah, I'm, like, I'm just like, what the fuck, you know? So yeah. I was like, why, why so much of an emphasis on people who aren't heterosexual? Mm -hmm. it, it's really frustrating. And I think it's just a generational. Um, unfortunately, it's generational. But I, And a lot of the people that I know who are LGBTQ from Cuba are actually professors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like I'd say that seventy percent of the people that I know from Cuba who are in the arts, like they're all LGBTQ queer mm -hmm. people, you know. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's not that there are people that aren't gay in Cuba and mm -hmm. queer in Cuba. It's just um, it's it's the dialogue is always you never express yourself the way you want to. It's never like what the way we're talking. Like these conversations, I feel like they don't happen the way that they should happen. Because people are just okay with take care of my family, I'm making my money, but we mm -hmm. don't have to talk about being black. We don't have to talk about mm -hmm. being trans. We don't have to talk about the rest of that stuff. Let's just, mm -hmm. just make your money. You have running water and electricity and everything is okay. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, so, and in Cuba, we have the same situation with uh, black people who are gay. So it's, it's the same. It's even worse. Huh? It's mm -hmm. even worse. It's a... You know, because uh, the idea about black people, so they have to be about men, so they have to be a strong, uh, stronger uh, than white. So, and this is, uh, you know, so, uh, and this is more complex, uh, more complex because you have um, racial issues plus, you know, sexual issues. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so it's, it's, you know, it's uh, the stereotype is different. So what is expected from black and white is, is different, even in Cuba. 
even if you or we have this problem as well you know i know uh what are you saying so about this is is is, is, is more complex absolutely absolutely so this is not just uh sex it's not just uh uh the same marriage sex or no no this is is this issue is uh is is more 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 complex absolutely so i agree i agree with you and and i say that only just because the audience i think um we only sometimes we're the sum of what we all did we talked about information a lot on this podcast um but how we received information and i just think a lot of people don't have exposure to different experiences i think that's the best way to kind of debunk all these stereotypes about people is you have to actually meet people get to know people love people be a part of their lives you can't the television can't teach you that the radio can't teach you that and so sometimes you have to get firsthand experiences and and be more hands-on and i think that's a problem in society in general and um and hopefully people are starting to realize that that cuba and the united states aren't these completely drastically different worlds mm -hmm. i mean yes economically is one thing but it's like when you talk about human beings it's really not that different if you actually analyze people's like mm -hmm. lives individually i mm -hmm. mean it's the same kind of thing where we have a lot there's a lot of commonality just this issue alone mm -hmm. and and i think the western world in general a lot of the countries like the united states and canada they almost um project their homophobia like generally speaking mm -hmm. and they almost make it seem like oh well that's stuff that happens in countries like honduras and cuba that doesn't happen the same way here mm -hmm. and i'm saying yes it does it happens in those countries mm -hmm. it just has a different function within that society but it, it is there like yeah. it's all over Absolutely, we have people here who are not receiving, you know, uh, a good compensation for uh, work, you know. So right now, for example, in humanities, we are facing uh, terrible problems. So for me, this is concerning. We are living uh, a big crisis. So you know, I know you want to speak about this. Yeah, yeah. what exactly? Will you what exactly? Because when people hear that, they're going to be like, okay two guys have a phd and and you guys are having issues finding work huh. and i mean i'm currently unemployed right now like i and we were talking privately about the job market um especially with the humanities you know having a phd you have all these publications i have some publications and um what has been like one of your personal experiences that you can relate to um they really showed you that this was a difficult process because you were talking about um the citadel like wait they promised you something and you didn't get the job there can you go into like kind of the difficulties of that yes absolutely so um i have right now i have uh i think three years uh following the job market so this year i have not been uh, involved in this uh search so much because i have I am lucky, you know, because I have a job right now. But this is so hard, you know. This is the truth. So I don't know if you follow the the photo. Uh, it's uh, it's called Wiki MLA or Wiki MLA. So where <laughs> are, 
writing about uh, about uh, their experiences looking for jobs uh, for positions in the academia, which is uh, so hard uh, because you know uh, the options are so limited, and we are uh, every year uh, every year we have uh, less options. Like in, like like in this year, for example, we have just uh, some lecturers' position positions, and also we have um, some tenure tracks positions. So not so much. Uh, everything in the northern part of the country. Uh, this is interesting for me right now uh, because if we have population in Florida. Uh, for example, uh, who speaks uh, who speak Spanish or uh, in Texas, so they don't have so much options. In Texas, they have more, but um, anyway, just uh, three or four positions in some universities, and sometimes they don't offer a tenure track uh, position. They are offering uh, visiting instructor positions, uh, lecturers, you know, things like this. So you have. Uh, your PhD in hand, and it's still difficult. Publications, and it's still difficult. Uh, I think the reason is that we have, we are so many looking for jobs, you know, and universities is not a secret. They are a business, you know, they are graduating people. You are paying, you have uh, loans, you have uh, scholarships. Uh, they need students, huh? they need students. Uh, to graduate and also to make money. And this is the sad part. Mm-hmm. So when you start to uh, look for your job, you have to prepare so many documents. Hmm? You have to prepare so many documents, um, the CV, uh, uh, the cover letter. Sometimes they request uh, the diversity statement. And this is a surprising because uh, you know they want to give this image. They are uh, concerned about diversity. I don't know what is diversity for them. <laughs> no, because uh, in truth, I have seen a few places uh, who are really interested in uh, fostering diversity. So this is the truth. Uh, my job right now, I think we have uh, a great job on this, you know, in, in this college, because in OCDC, we are working on that uh, seriously. Seriously, because you know, I have participated in um, committees to hire people, uh, and we are working on that seriously. But you know, this is not the case everywhere. This is not the case everywhere. So uh, in some places, they are looking for the perfect accent in English, uh, which is not possible even for native speakers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it, it, things like this, things like this, and uh, the options are so limited. As I said, for example, if you write your dissertation on um, Latin American literature, you cannot apply for a position in linguistics. However, you have to teach a Spanish one and a Spanish two. Mm. This sounds like a contradiction. Because if I wrote my dissertation in on uh, Spanish literature or Latin American literature, and you are looking for an specialist a specialist on this area, why do I need to teach Spanish one and two? Why do I need to know answers like 
for example, what is the difference uh, between preterite and present? <laughs> yeah. and, you know, you are not looking, you are looking for a person who teaches um, Latin American literature, not linguistics. So I am not supposed to know, I am not supposed to know that answer. And I need to know because uh, the students, they ask, what is the difference between bien and bueno? So what is the difference between subjunctive and indicative? Mm-hmm. So why do you have gender in Spanish? I'm here to teach. This is not my case right now because I am just teaching Spanish one and two. I'm happy with that. But you know, this is part of the contradictions that we are facing in the job market. So if you wrote your your dissertation on um, Spanish literature, you cannot send your you cannot submit your application for peninsular literature. They don't consider you as a specialist in all the areas, even though when uh, you have received an education in linguistics, in literature, in culture, no. So, mm-hmm. uh, so we are facing this kind of things. So. This means the options are so limited, you know, so because this is based on your dissertation. Dissertation, you know, and your dissertation. So if you write your dissertation about Latin American literature, this is your field. Exactly. This is a problem because, you know, I received an education on linguistics in Cuba when I was studying my, uh, my major. And also here, I studied peninsular literature. So in Cuba, I was working in the university teaching peninsular literature. But anyway, I have to teach Spanish one and Spanish two. I don't know what do you think about these kind of issues. And then after this, if you are lucky, uh, if you receive a request for interview, it's the first interview, the first round with um, so many questions with uh, three or four people asking you questions. Hmm? Sometimes you are not prepared for these questions because you didn't see anything about this during your PhD. So how do you teach uh, whatever? So uh, the difference between uh, preterito and copreterito. Uh, how do you teach? Uh, are these tenure track positions? Did they ask you these kind of questions? Yeah. Are you yeah. serious? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Can you can you explain to the audience um, briefly? how important tenure track is for us? Yes, absolutely. So the tenure track position is your line in the academia. So it's, a, you know, it's your guarantee to have a job. Uh, so after six years or so, depending on the university, so uh, you can have your position um, forever as long as you uh, do a good job. Uh, in the in the university that's why this is important because otherwise you will be moving every year from states to states from different states you know so and i have been facing this situation uh, in my personal experience i started to live in florida when i was studying my phd so i came here because of family reasons but i started my phd in florida and then Texas. I moved to Texas because the only job I got with a PhD after my graduation was in a high school to teach Spanish. Mm. And 
and the Spanish uh, intermediate, so 12 graders. I am here, so in Kentucky, working for OCTC and also for uh, the University of Evansville, teaching a Spanish one and the Spanish two, so 100 level. Otherwise, as I said, you have to move every year, each year. So in a visiting uh, position, maybe for a year, or a lecture position, maybe for two or three years, but you don't have, you know, um, you don't have your, if you don't have your tenure track, you don't have your job, you don't have the position forever. So you have, uh, you are required to move every year. So this is the important part of this. There's, um, there's some concerning elements too. Um, you were mentioning earlier about this diversity um, agenda that they come up with and they make you write a diversity statement. They make you do um, write a research statement, a teaching statement or teaching philosophy. Like there's so many different things. Like when we send out packets in for people to apply for jobs, it's not just a CV or a resume. It's mm-hmm. we have to basically do like all types of stuff. Mm-hmm. that a lot of regular professions don't even require. Mm-hmm. And like you said, the interview process, I haven't gotten to that yet because I haven't really been applying. But I noticed that when I was going in the program at UT Knoxville, people were telling me, Kiko, and I, I'm not even lying. I'm not going to out people's names, but there were so many people coming up to me. Kiko, it's going to be easy for you to get a job. And, and, and I was just thinking to myself, and I'm like, they were implying because I was a black person that it was going to be easy for me to get a job because I'm black and they needed more black faculty, which is bullshit. And then I, I figured that I would come up with this strategy. Let me write my dissertation in English and cover three language groups. So because I do Haiti, Brazil, Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico and um Cuba. Like I do so much shit. It's like, I forget what, <laughs> but I was going to ask you about your dissertation. Didn't you do Spain and Cuba? Mm-hmm. No. Uh, so I wrote about, uh, Southern, the Southern, Chile, Argentina, and, um, Uruguay. Okay. So you did Argentina and Uruguay, the, the Cono Sur. Yeah. Cono Sur. Southern, yes. Southern. But you have experience in peninsula literature too. Yes, I have experience in peninsular literature because uh, I was teaching in Cuba for two years after my graduation. So even before, even before I taught uh, peninsular literature four years from middle ages to 21st century. So I know the evolution, the writers, the authors of the main uh, literary works written in Spain. And even with uh, this knowledge, you know, I am not considered for this kind of positions because I wrote my dissertation on Latin American literature. Mm -hmm. And you bring up a serious issue. And so I'm wondering, is that an advantage or a disadvantage having both bases covered? You have Spain covered and you have Latin America covered. Mm -hmm. And I'm starting to wonder, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Okay, Kiko has publications on Panama, Brazil, Cuba. Is that too much versatility? Or do I need to be boxed into just a Caribbean specialist? Or Because I don't do that. When I apply, I do Latin America and Caribbean specialists. I don't do just Caribbean because I don't want to be lumped in. It's just, oh, this guy does Cuba and Puerto Rico. 
And I it's, it's a problem, right? Pico, uh, I don't know. So it's, I think sometimes this is an issue of luck, you know? <laughs> Because to be honest, I don't know what uh, they are expecting from you. You know, so you have uh, this, uh, these, all these questions in the first interview. Uh, and then you have a second interview. It's different because everywhere is different. In all these universities, they have, uh, they have a different system to interview the candidates, you know. Um, for example, sometimes in the second part, in the second round, Uh, you have to present a syllabus and explain the syllabus. Why? What is the reason to select uh, the literary works or uh, things like this? To explain your syllabus, your topics, your classes, your methodology. And uh, oh, sometimes God. you have to travel to the campus uh, to have the interview with the dean, with the... Um, With the, with the chair, with the head of the department, or with the rest of the faculties uh, who has a, a tenure, uh, who have a tenure in that department. Uh, you know, everywhere is, everywhere is different. And after all this work, you can receive an email after three weeks, by the way, saying, you know, No. Um, so we have selected another candidate um, who have accepted the, the offer. You know, things, things like this. So it's not so simple. And, uh, you know, sometimes after the first interview, you have to wait uh, one month to receive a negative answer. And this is disrespectful, you know, uh, because I think they have to plan uh, They have to plan. They, they need to have a plan before interview candidates, you know, because I don't have problems with no. I don't have problems with a negative answer because I know we are so many. We are so many people looking for a job, for a position at the university. I don't have problem with a negative answer, actually. But it's the way, you know, it's the way of the process. It's the process. And the time consumption. Like, you, you could be doing something else. I mean, you could be... Uh, looking for another job while there you're waiting for a decision at the job that you think you have. And I wanted you to like, before we leave the interview, I wanted you to kind of tell the audience about what happened to you in the Citadel. That's in South Carolina, right? Like, yes. did they promise you a job there? Uh, not exactly, but you know, <laughs> but you know uh, the phrases and the expressions in that interview, uh, were not correct, you know, so almost promise, you know, uh, at the end of the day. So I had a stressful day there, as I said, you know, so these kind of interviews, they are so stressful because uh, just in a day I had to teach a class, you know, I had an interview with the dean. I had a lunch with uh, the head of the department and um, I had a campus tour. I have I had a breakfast, and at the end I had uh, an interview with all the faculties of the department. We were in COVID in that moment, you know. I had to travel there. Uh, I took two planes, two flights to get there. And at the end of the day, so one person there, uh, she told me, "So you have to think this very well because this is an important decision." 
you have to move here and you are living in Orlando, Florida. So this is an important decision for your life. But here you will have the love of your students. You will have this and, ha and have that. And um, what else? So uh, they talk about uh, housing plans inside campus. So you can request. So they're it. already giving you the impression that you got the job almost. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, and also they had two positions. They had two positions, you know, in 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 that college. And um, and she told me, so as I said, uh, you have to think this very well because you have to move here. It's an important decision for your life. Uh, you know, these kind of things. So you can request uh, at least in your first year a housing plan here inside the campus then. The second year, you can move outside the campus. So I said to myself, you know, I have this job. You know, this was uh, disappointing at the end. You know, when after uh, three weeks, I received uh, the answer saying no. You know, and as you said, it's time consuming because you have to write your documents. You have to adapt your documents for every position, you know. If you are applying for a position in Latin American literature, you have to adapt your documents for that position. And then, if you are lucky, you receive your first interview. It's uh, about uh, 30 minutes. Sometimes it's one hour. It's an hour. And then you have to wait three weeks or two weeks. If you receive the good answer, you have the second interview and uh, where you have to do uh, a different activity, a different exercise. Um, maybe another interview with so other members of the department or to teach a class, to explain your syllabus. Uh, sometimes you have to travel, sometimes not. And uh, after that interview, you receive the answer, the final answer. So your offer or not. In my case, in my experience, my experience, uh, you know, has been terrible. Not terrible because I have uh, received uh, so many interviews. You know, I know people who have not received anything. And also, I was hired here uh, in this college, you know. I am happy uh, with this job right now. Uh, you know, I have uh, sections here, students here. Uh, here in this college, so I am working with them. But the sad part of this, talking about humanities, is that we have students who are interested in learning other languages and also about other cultures. You know, in the University of Evansville, I have I have two sections, two face-to-face -face sections right now. And these sections have uh, more than 30 students. Oh, wow. It's a lot. You know? So, yes, it's a lot. But, you know, some of them, most of them, they are interested in learning the Spanish. So they are learning about this culture, uh, Hispanic culture. So learning about the countries, um, the continent. Why do I speak Spanish, for example? in Latin America, they didn't know that. Some of them, they don't know that. They don't know geography. Sometimes they believe that the only country that speaks Spanish is Mexico. Oh, yeah. And all the countries 
below the United States are called Mexico, which is terrible. You know, things like this. And they are learning about the culture and about the language. They are understanding the importance of learning another language, you know, a different language. So because the world is diverse, so it's more than English, it's more than Spanish. We have a world beyond the United States, beyond Cuba, beyond Spain, you know, and they are they, they are understanding this part. So this is, I think this is my goal in my classes. This is my mission, just about language instruction, you know. No, no, definitely it's, not. It's, it's, it's diversity, you know, it's to understand the diversity of the world. So uh, we have more people everywhere. And everything in the universities for humanities is every day is to cut the budget. We don't have a budget for humanities. They don't pay attention to these classes, mm-hmm. you know. So and this is concerning. And I have this conversation with some of my students because not everything is technology. Not everything is economy. And some of them come to me and say, hey, professor, I like music. I like music, I like art, I like philosophy, and we can find this kind of classes, you know? And sometimes they are teaching useless classes. Exactly. Useless classes, you know? So I, I it's, it's, it's a complex situation. So it's, It um, is, but I've always, I've always fucked the system. Like I've always <laughs> done it because we have a lot of teaching experience. I was telling some people the other day that it's like a lot of these courses, second year courses and first year courses in Spanish, I just kind of make it my own. And people at UT who knew me at UT Knoxville, they knew that I didn't fucking follow the syllabus. I mean, I did, but it's like the culture part, they say teach culture to the students. And so to me, that means, okay, Kiko, you can put your own element of culture on the students. So I teach them about Santeria, I teach them about Mm-hmm. Um, LGBTQ rights in Puerto Rico, Cuba, mm-hmm. Latin America. I teach whatever I want. I don't follow some shit because the textbook says mm-hmm. it has like a little bit of cultural section, no. and paragraph mm-hmm. long. I'm like, fuck that. I'm going to mm-hmm. teach what I want to mm-hmm. teach. It's like that's the least that it can give us is autonomy. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you're going to make everything else so difficult, mm-hmm. we should at least have the right to teach what we want in our own classroom mm-hmm. and not have it so clone. Just every class is the same and yeah. you have the same grammar and the same culture and stuff like that. I think it needs to be more um, dynamic. Absolutely. And I think that's a great idea. You're one of the first people I've heard to where they could make it to where you could have a first or second year course where you could still do language stuff, but the emphasis could also be music. Like you do with the upper level courses. It doesn't just have to be all about language. It can mm-hmm. also incorporate the other elements into it because in those upper level courses, you still have to use the language. Mm-hmm. You would just do the same thing at the lower levels. You just mm-hmm. incorporate music, philosophy, psychology, whatever you want in those mm-hmm. classes. But mm-hmm. it, but that just to me, it shows that they, they don't care. The system doesn't care. No, they don't care. Absolutely no. So it's, uh, you know, and this is concerning because uh, we are losing the human part of the society, you know, and uh, this is the concerning part of this. So 
everything is technology, everything is economy, um, you know, everything is money, uh, empty concepts. Huh? Uh, so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really concerning. Humanities, we are facing uh, a terrible crisis, you know. So you have to see this uh, photo, um, Wiki MLA, where people are writing in desperation for a job, looking for a job. So it's it's amazing. It's amazing. It's uh, you know, and as I said, we have so many students who are interested. And you are mentioning an important part: culture, culture inside the language classes. So last semester, I had an activity with them. So uh, they had to prepare a video to show the cultural part, and they love, they love to learn, um, they love these videos, huh? because they gave them the opportunity to learn about, uh, for example, Pedro Almodovar, uh, who is Pedro Almodovar, or um, who is, uh, who was uh, Juana de Barburo, or Alfonsina Storni, or Gabriela Mistral. Oh, or, sí, sí, sí. Yes, Violeta Parra. Uh, I use my research for, uh for those projects you know and um at the end they had uh, a free project where they have to where they had to explain uh what they have learned in my classes you know about the spanish culture about the spanish language and this was surprising for me uh because they didn't know all these people. For example, Carlos Paez Villaró. Carlos Paez Villaró, he was a painter um, from Uruguay. So many people know this uh, artwork when they visit Uruguay, you know, unfortunately, because it's an amazing, it, it, he was an amazing artist in Uruguay, very popular. So he built a house in front of the Atlantic Ocean using raw materials, you know, uh, to pay tribute to nature and uh, song, women, you know, and it is interesting. And you can share this, this information with uh, your students to make your class more attractive, more interesting um for example real real world task in your classes also important spanish for business for health the other day i was in the and this is a shame because i was in the in the hospital you know and i was it with with a nurse there you know um and uh, she told me she asked me oh where are you from I said, I am from Cuba. You know the question this lady asked to me? Where is Cuba? She said, where is Cuba? What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> you know? So I said... <laughs> You're in Kentucky though, right? Yeah, Kentucky. So I, can't, I can't say that I'm that surprised. I mean, and I have no room to talk because that probably a lot of people in Tennessee who would ask that same question. But that's that's <laughs> it. Just shows a lack of um, geographical experience. Just, but but this country is very bad about um, 
And I don't even really blame the people a lot. I mean, I guess they should have access to everything, like mm-hmm. books, encyclopedias, everything else, the internet. But this country is very much, um, it's all about this space. Mm-hmm. And we don't learn about the rest of the world. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's our education system here is very poor. Absolutely. Um, depending on where you are geographically, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. very poor. But generally speaking, most people don't have, or they don't foster people to have an interest in the world mm-hmm. outside of this, mm-hmm. these 50 states. And uh-huh. it, it's really frustrating uh, to it's see cool. that. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I was surprised because. Uh, in health, they are trying to foster diversity. So they uh, studied this. They are supposed, you know, they are supposed to study this matter, so these uh, subjects before taking the exams uh, for license, before working. <laughs> and <laughs> was working on my vein. I was um, about, uh, <laughs> about to have uh, a procedure, a minor procedure, a surgery. And uh, she asked me, Oh, where are you from? So what do you do for a living? So, and I was talking to her about these uh, topics. And at the end she asked, ah, but where is Q? <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> just playing her. So Q is in the Caribbean, it's an island. It's surrounded by uh, places or countries such as uh, Puerto Rico, Jamaica, or uh, the rest of the island is in Latin America. We have uh, also so, so, so some other countries around the island, you know. So uh, you are right. You are right. So the other day I was uh, teaching Spanish and one of my students, um, she said, we need geography classes. You know, because, uh, I remember when I was uh, living in Cuba, I started to study geography. I think it was in elementary school, you know, in elementary middle school. I took three classes on geography, mandatory, huh? mandatory. So you had to take these classes, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and also in high school, the first year, I had to take uh, geography classes. So in those classes, uh, you studied the uh, the world, the countries, the rivers, the lakes. And, you know, the oceans, the resources in the world, you know, so I think, I think this is so important uh, because you need to know the world, the capitals. Hmm? It's, uh, it it was going back to something you were saying earlier about, I feel like in a lot of ways, the people here in the United States, at least my generation before, because I'm 40 years old, but when I was growing up, we only had three stations on television, maybe four. And so everything that the world that you knew about was based on these four television channels, Mm. unless you had an encyclopedia. Like, luckily, my parents always had an atlas in the house Mm. Mm -hmm. and globes. And my parents, Mm. like, they were hard workers. They they still are hard workers, but it was always, like, books, books, books. And Mm. I used to be an avid reader when I was, like, a kid. Um, I used to be in geography bees and contests and stuff. So that stuff was always really important. But a lot of the exposure here is still um, very surface level. Mm-hmm. And and you can tell that based on just like the news stories. And people believe everything that is told. Like it doesn't even make sense. If you really knew the world, you knew it wouldn't make sense. 
Mm-hmm. So you know about the Ukraine-Russia situation now. Yeah. What's lost in that, regardless of what you, if you believe what they're telling you or not on television, is that why would anyone just support one country versus another country when that country has people in it too? They almost make it seem like the Russian people, the ki- the kids and the parents are throwing the bombs on the people in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like if people actually knew the world, you would know that there's still people in those areas. Mm-hmm. And just like the stuff you grew up with, probably mm-hmm. you have alliances with countries that we don't have alliances with in the United States. That's mm-hmm. like I know people in Latin America. We used to get North Korean television channels. Because of the political system we lived under. But everything about North Korea here is negative, 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 negative. Mm -hmm. But if you go to Latin America, they have different perspectives of North Korea because it's it's more open towards that society because there's communication of ideas. Mm -hmm. But here is very much um, Western Europe Mm -hmm. and everything else is like, oh, we don't Mm -hmm. really need to focus on that. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I have the the same impression, you know. So, and uh, there is something interesting as well. Uh, you know, you're right. So I agree with you. Talking about music, for example, we grew up uh, listening to music from the United States. For example, we know uh, singers like um, old generation. For example, talking about that, uh, Frank Sinatra, um, Donna Summer. Barbara Streisand, um, <laughs> you know, this kind of people face most people. So in Cuba, Poland, so we listen, we listen, um, we listen to music from different parts of the world, from Spain, uh, even from Africa, um, from the other parts of Latin America, tango music from Argentina, uh, from Chile. So it's called the this movement of sevenness was called uh, Nueva Trova or Cancion Protesta or whatever. Gloria Gaynor, so many people, so many yeah. people. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So, but here, Americans they don't listen music from other parts of the world. Mm-mm. They don't listen other languages, and this is, I think. It, this is interesting for me, and at the same time, it's shocking because we have all the possibilities here. We have uh, communication, we have resources to listen to music from different parts, but they are focused on music, which is uh, produced here inside the United States, as you said, in these uh, 50 states. Um, I wonder what, you know. It so- shows you what the mentality is. Everything is about. <laughs> Everyone else has to adapt to us. It's like we don't adapt to other. I, I see it all the time. Like even even in politics, it's like just the way we think about politics here is very much. It's just everything is just so confined to like black, white, green, uh-huh. yellow, uh-huh. pink, orange. I mean, it, it, there's never any other possibilities. Uh-huh. There's always got to be this way or that way, on or off. And I'm like, if the, that's not how the world functions, if you really think about it. We should be more complex than two options, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's really frustrating to see that. But um, I think that's why it's important. That's what makes our job so special, too, because we're able to actually go beyond the surface level a lot of times with our students, even not. And that mm-hmm. does 
there's no money or price tag that can satisfy that kind of experience. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why we do what we do because we actually love what we do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, so because for example, I remember in Cuba, so in the television, so when I was a kid, so we had uh, just two TV channels. So national, of course. Uh, so they belong to the government. As right now, it's the same situation. Uh, but you know, we had the possibility to enjoy uh, music and culture from different parts of the world, from Brazil, for example. I remember from Brazil, Caetano Veloso. Uh, oh, yes. Gal Costa. Gal Costa. Uh, <laughs> so she passes, she passed away. So I think uh, two months ago or something yeah. like this, yeah. it was a sad. Uh, Gal Costa, Maria Betania, um, Ari Barroso. Uh, George Bain. Exactly. So, so many people, so many people from uh, Brazil, uh, for example, from France, Charles Asnabur or uh, Mathieu or... Oh, uh, yeah. So, uh, I'm from the United States. Absolutely. So, Barbara Streisand, uh, Frank Sinatra, um, Liza Minelli, and... Um, so many people, so many people, so many names, and also movies, movies from different parts of the world. And this is free, so you don't have to pay for this, you know? So uh, we had uh, different um, film programs in the television, uh, the Sunday, so, so the movie for, for the Sunday, three movies in uh, during the Saturday night. So. Uh, recent releases and uh, you know this is is culture of course we had uh, so much politics in that television so you know uh, so many messages across the day uh, showing ideology or things like this but uh, we enjoyed this kind of programs as well you know you had the perspective the perspective about the world, at least in knowledge, maybe not in information, what was uh, really happening or the news, you know, was uh, politicized or manipulated, but you know, so at least we had this information, this information about culture, about art. So programs on art, painting, painters, so, and this was uh, so important for the education. It's not only the school system. It's not only the school system. It's also television. It's books, as you mentioned. Uh, things like this is a family. Huh? Family is the is the first step in your education, and this is important. You know, it's essential. I tell you what, Ramon. We would talk a couple more hours longer, but now I know you have places to go. You probably have to teach today. Do you teach? Yeah, today? I, have, I have to teach. Okay. <laughs> I, have, I have to teach a class. Uh, yes, I have a class. Uh, I think it's at 2 p.m. Uh, I have to be there because I have uh, a project with uh, the students. So 10 minutes earlier, I have to be there because uh, they are going to decorate a board for us. Oh, yes. That's in the the humanities building. So I have a topic for them. The first topic is, by the way, about um, Caribbean, Hispanic Caribbean. So 
they will use information about these countries. So they are doing research uh, to decorate this board with uh, the colors and information about poetry, uh, movies, religion, music. So let's see the work. So, you know, I'm excited about this, uh, about this project. I think it's a, it's a new project. It's a experiential learning because they are learning by doing something. And, you know, it's a good complement for the class. No, I know you do a great job. Just um, we've had some exchanges. We've had some conversations just because we met um, in Florida, I think in 2016 we met or 2017 mm -hmm. at a conference and we've just kind of kept in touch since then. Um, mm -hmm. We're like a special little network, like some of the people. Uh, my friend Sarah Omer, uh, she's also someone that I met through conferencing. And um, it's just good to have those kind of people on the podcast because um, we're younger and also um, mm -hmm. different perspectives. It's mm -hmm. always good to have um, all these, um, you, when you're personal, can meet with the cultural mm -hmm. and, inf and informational and people can see how all those th three things link together. Mm -hmm. But I was going to ask you before you go, if an audience member wanted to reach out to you directly, um, what would be the easiest way for them to, to get in touch with you? Well, Facebook, I use Facebook, you know, so my, my chat, my messenger, and uh, also I have my email from my job. So I'm working for OCTC, so it's always Water Community and Technical College. I don't check Instagram so much, you know, so I have <laughs> so much time for that. Uh, and actually, I don't have Instagram in my phone. So you can reach me out through uh, email if you want, and also uh, through uh, Messenger in, in Facebook. I will be more than happy to answer and uh, to interact with uh, everyone who reached me out, okay? You got some, some engagement on, because um, I have YouTube video, uh, the Kiko's Freethinkers Forum YouTube channel. Um, I have the comment section open. And I've gotten some comments on like some of my videos and somebody, I don't know who they were, but they posted like a long message on there about um, our discussion about the embargo the last time. Oh, and I, and I was like, that was so cool. So people are obviously following along and listening in and stuff. So we appreciate all the engagement. Um, but they were basically saying like, let's get rid of it. You know, like we need a new, a fresh start. Mm -hmm. Um, they were, I think they were agreeing, I guess, generally speaking with what we were saying, but they also had a perspective on the situation. I think another Cuban, I think there's a Cuban person who wrote the comment. And um, there were a few people who had something to say about um, the referendum situation, the 2019 and 2022. What, before you go, I lied, I guess, there's a final question I have because there was a comment by Carlos, I'll just call him Carlos. And he commented and said in Spanish that he said, who's to say that with the same sex marriage, um, like become the reality in Cuba in 2022, does that really change anything besides the fact that it's a, a, a law? Does it really change the mindset? That's the person was basically, I don't know if they were for or against it, but they were basically making the point that is that going to change anyone's mentality? I guess, they were more concerned about people's minds being changed and not the actual also oh, signed the paper. Mm. What is your view on that? So, you know, everyone has a, 
an opinion, you know. So, but I, personally, I don't agree. I don't agree with, uh, I disagree with this, uh, with this view, you know. Because I think, as I said, issues is my opinion, issues like this. So the first step to solve these issues is, unfortunately, is the government. It's the government. Maybe it, it sounds like a, a dictatorship or something like this. Uh, but, you know, issues like this, they need to be solved first in this step, using this step. So mentality and mind, so this can take longer. Huh? So it's a process. It's a slower. So, but you have to start in the government. So, because, you know, as we discussed, we have so many problems here still with these issues, with this topic. But, you know, when the government take action on this, things start to change. Slowly, maybe slowly, but they start to change. So you receive more respect, you receive recognition. So, um, you know, people are obligated, so people to respect you, to respect you, whatever, whatever you are, or it doesn't matter, regardless your uh, sexual orientation, you know, because it's the law, it's the law right now. So uh, mentality, of course, absolutely, um, take more time, takes more time to change, but you know, it can change. So at with time, so step by step, a little by a little, people start to change, you know? Because I am seeing this and watching this right now. So in, I have visited other countries like Argentina or Spain. I have been in Spain. You have been in Spain as well, I think. Do you remember uh, Franco Franco era? So how was, <laughs> was Spain during that moment? You know, and this changed, this situation changed a mm -hmm. lot. Right now, you can walk on the street in Madrid and you can see people. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the same sex. <laughs> it's the same sex taking their hands. So couples uh, uh, with the same sex taking their hands or um, walking in the street, expressing love, expressing themselves. So things can change. So it's, uh, in the Franco era, it lasts uh, from 1939 to uh, 70. 36 to 75, I think. 75. So, and things changes in the country, you know? So, so we have these changes in the country, in Spain. So you can uh, see people now expressing their, their love of free. They are free. So things shift can happen, you know? Uh, it's... It's, it's, it's important to change the, the, the laws or to have at least this law is, is important because uh, the government is recognizing this. You know, and you can uh, you can start to see these things as a normal process, as part of the life, you know, so it's a part of the life that we are living. I agree. And um, I believe... Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe this is the first, technically, the first communist country um, that this has happened in. And so, so. so so this is a significant 
moment in history it is. Um, whether people want to deny it or not is is very significant in a good way. And um and it all and it also um it also I think it alleviates previous stereotypes as well. Even mm-hmm. though you do have the the dominant um macho type um attitudes it still um, shows that there's obviously an undercurrent, a strong support um, mm-hmm. for people um, and when it comes to human rights. Because yeah. Cuba's been traditionally, at least through the eyes of the United States, um, the, the, the record of human rights has not been good. But the United States has also not had a good record on human rights as well. And so it, sometimes you have to call a spade a spade. But this shows that there are significant changes happening mm-hmm. in the world. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I think, you know, as I said, it's the first step in the process, but it's important. It's totally important. And we have to understand that we have people angry uh, about the situation, about the general situation in Cuba. So they miss up everything. You know, they, they put uh, everything in the same bag. Yeah. Right. This is a different issue, you know. So you can understand mentality in different senses, but we need to solve this. So, uh, you know, we have more than hunger, more than thirsty, more than, you know, so we are more than that, you know? So it's, uh, so we need to solve this, this, this issue. So this need, this, this need attention as well, you know, it's a, uh, Everything is uh, so. The world is more than hunger, more than necessities, and medication, transportation. You know, people deserve happiness, <laughs> and this is part of happiness. You know, I am glad that we were able to to show a different side of Cuba, like which is so. It's crazy for me to say that because you know, knowing a lot about Cuba growing up and just you know studying cuba a lot is just you know i have to think i have to step back and think a lot of people in this country don't don't understand mm. they, they have their stereotypes and misconceptions about cuba mm. and so i'm glad that we were able to have a two-part interview mm. and maybe some people can go away thinking okay maybe cuba is a little bit different than what i thought going into mm. you know hearing this before but mm. again i appreciate you I'm talking. We could talk forever, but we got to go, beautiful people. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I think John Gower is going to be my next guest. Um, mm-hmm. He's the host of Near Dark Radio podcast. Mm-hmm. And we have about 15 more guests lined up. So it's going to be very busy. I'm booked all the way through April. And mm-hmm. so we got interviews that are going to be in Bangladesh. I think mm-hmm. I have one in Cameroon, one in Australia mm-hmm. again. So there's a lot of um, activity going on with Kiko's Freethinkers Forum. Uh, share with your friends and family. Tell everyone all about it. Um, come in with an open mind. And I think there's something here for everybody to take away, whether it's politics or culture. Uh, thanks again, Ramon, for joining me. And thank have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much uh, for having me here. You know, It has been a great pleasure to discuss these kind of topics. I love these topics. I am so interested in this kind of conversation, especially with you, yeah. So it's uh, and with your audience. So it's uh, you know, uh, it, it has been a great pleasure for me. Yes, for sure. We have to do it again. I, I don't know how the seasons are set now. This is technically season two, 
and this is episode 19. So um, I'm pretty sure down the road for a third season, you all might hear from Ramon again. So but anyway, good, good afternoon and goodbye, beautiful people. Talk to you all later. Thank you. Bye-bye.